All right. Welcome, everybody. It is Wednesday evening, a little after five o'clock on the West Coast time. You're here for the No Persinium Review Crew. This week's theme is here, there, every freaking where. Um, that's a reference. You probably know what it is for. Uh, joining me this week uh, are... Patrick McClure. Oh, wait, how do we do this normally? We go, we go, uh, the Chicago curator of No Pro, right? Is yes, and then I go, hi, I'm Patrick McLean. That's right. I haven't done this in a while. We also have the arts editor of No Persinium. Hi, Laura Hess. See, I got Laura's part, right? And I, of course, am <laughs> Noah Nelson. I'm the host of the Normal Podcast and the uh, rotating host here of the Review Crew. We are going to do uh, a little different this week, and then we're going to get 10 minutes on. I think five different things. That's the goal. So, and I believe we are going to start with Patrick, right? Or we're starting no. with Laura. We're going to start with Laura. That's right. You're in the middle. You're in the middle. I'm dead in the middle. Because it's Laura, me, <laughs> you, yeah. Laura, me. That's exactly right. Okay. That's how yeah. we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> or actually, you know what, Laura, why don't we give you last word? Let's just do a palindrome. There we go. We'll do a palindrome. Laura, me, Patrick, me, Laura. I love it. Okay. Yeah. It's for anyone who, it's going to be one of the guys in the middle, but that's fine. Happened. All right. Yeah. All right. Mixing up and go along. We already lost somebody for the live feed. Oh, well, happens. Laura, uh, you're going to talk a little, uh, online first. Uh, okay. so, uh, you, you did something that looks, uh, looked it actually looks pretty interesting. What, what do you have for us? Okay, so I'm I ten minutes on the clock. I'm actually going to put a, a. I'm going to do a bling a blingy. So there'll be there'll be an alarm and everything. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> so intense. All right. How, how's your watch of Squid Games been going? Hey, Noah? hey, hey! <laughs> you take your time. I have to reset because you did that. All right, Laura, you may begin. <laughs> okay, I'm going to jump in. So this show is called The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us. This is by Headlock Escape Rooms in the UK. And so this is a remote um, escape room experience. This is via Zoom. You can have up to six players. And it is a, um, it's kind of a pop rock experience. It, there are interactive puppets that are accompanied by original music and songs with a sort of fungal, fantastical fungal central theme. I mean, like I don't. If people right now are not immediately scurrying to get tickets, I I, I don't know what else to say. So, this is um, so it is a uh, it's a hero's journey set in a miniature world. So you've got these amazing uh, dioramas, and again, you've got these interactive puppets. And here's the situation. So every one thousand years, the evil mushroom king awakens and threatens villagers and their sort of antifungal well it's not they're not antifungal but they're sort of non-fungal I have antifungal in my bathroom <laughs> so so you and your teammates are the guardians and you're going to step in to help the keeper on their quest to save the villagers uh this was I did this on Sunday morning Los Angeles time and we had for our group, which was a group of four, which I thought was really ideal. Although I should also say our group of four had some real like escape room heavy hitters. So depending upon your familiarity and your comfort level, you may want up to the six players. But um, we had some West Coasters, some East Coasters. This was absolutely the best way to start your day. Um, I laughed throughout. It was so delightful and charming. And um, 
I just, if you want to do, I mean, the puzzles are there. Like, it's not that this is just uh, fluff and there's no challenge at all. We had one, uh, one puzzle that was sort of more math-based and one of our uh, guardian teammates was like, I am going to go grab some more coffee in this moment. So there's a, <laughs> there's a range of like how, you know, uh, how deep do you want to get into sort of the puzzle solving? Do you really want to be sort of more of the supportive guardian and enjoying the entertainment? The, the like mushroom puns are amazing. Like I cannot recommend this highly enough. What was the challenge difficulty for the puzzles? Uh, um, I'm always kind of curious about this with the remote and online experiences. Uh, what is it geared more towards everybody in the sense that, you know, like. Because when you said you had like some heavy hitters, you had like Kara Mandel, yeah. who's done like hundreds of escape rooms and you had, you had Brett Kooner who's like designed them. So like, that's sort of like saying like, well, you know, we were doing some painting and I turned to Pablo and he turned to Leonardo. <laughs> and it's just like, you had like the heavy hitters with you, right? And like Kara has also designed stuff. So like, I don't want to, I don't want, if she, she bothers to listen to this one, I don't want to like make her like, I also designed stuff. It's like, yes, Kara's also designed stuff. So you, you didn't have a normal group of human beings doing this with you. How tough is this, this is really? True. Right, right. So, so this is, so I think I'm, I'm very qualified to give, uh, I think my lack of qualifications also then uniquely qualify me to offer up an opinion about this aspect. There definitely were some puzzles where I was very happy to, uh, you know, as I was trying to figure out what might be happening, Brett and Kara were all already not only had suggestions, but I mean, they had already honed in on what we needed to do. So I was thoroughly, I, I mean, this is not a, um, unlike some other escape rooms where the the vibe is really intense already in terms of the, the context, the narrative, you know, it's a very pressurized situation. So this is not that. So mm. this is right off the bat, this is incredibly charming and delightful. I was very happy to be the, the weakest link of the bunch. Um, I think there are some people where if they don't have much in the way of escape room experience, specifically around these kinds of puzzles, um, they, they may get hung up a little bit more. However, the game master, you know, he's already got it dialed in in terms of knowing about how long it's a 90 minute experience. So mm. knowing about how long um, each, uh, you know, each scene, each diorama and the puzzles they're in, how long that needs to take. And there's uh, there was one thing where we did get a hint. So I think they, that's all baked in. Our group, of course, didn't really need any of that but um but that's there and so i think that this is it's so charming and so delightful and i don't think that if people are getting hung up on the puzzles at first uh it's not going to feel frustrating there's already avenues to get those hints and the rest of it is so adorable anyway that like frustration will not be an issue okay we, we we've talked a lot about the puzzles and you've mentioned adorable so like yeah. what's what's adorable here? What, what is this, what's going on? Like what's the performance aspect? Well, so again, you're dealing with puppets, you're dealing with original song and music. And, um, this is, like they I mean, break into is, song and like, the, is it like, a, like oh, a, yeah. like in the middle of a, is like, 
in the middle of a puzzle, like as a reward for a puzzle? Like, what are we looking at here? Uh, I, that's a great question. I mean, definitely as the narrative, definitely as you solve puzzles and sort of, you know, to advance the narrative as a segue in between these different worlds. Again, you've got multiple sets, multiple dioramas that I think the transitions are really incredible. We got a behind the scenes tour afterwards and like, I can't believe how much uh, this is done by a couple. This is a husband and wife wow. duo. And the game master, he is uh, performing and running the whole thing on his own. So I think this is really like a, um, uh, it's an athletic event, but it doesn't feel that way as a, <laughs> as an audience member, as a participant. Um, but yeah, I think that there's also maybe some breaking into song, like partway through, not just as a reward for unlocking a puzzle or segueing into the next scene. And these uh, little puppet characters break out into into song and, again, rife with um, mushroom puns, which I'm a, a huge proponent of. Uh, so, I mean, I can't, it, you know, this is all made from scratch. And um, it is, I, I just think that this taps into kind of more the like DIY ethos of the House of Eternal Return in mm. that really charming and delightful way, especially with all of these original lyrics and music. So the whole thing is very cohesive within its own aesthetic, which is, and it's just utterly charming. Well, and would you agree? Cause I'm looking at a few photos, like, like in the sense that it kind of has a Mr. Rogers feel in the sense that like that DIY very comfort because it's just very comforting. It seems very welcoming in a way. That's like you know like you're you're really trying to be submersed in the 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 narrative and the world and stuff. I think that's such a great point. I think that's uh, that that is a great encapsulation of it. It does have this kind of Mr. Rogers feel, and I do think, and we had all talked about this afterwards and I mentioned this in my capsule review, this is such a great embodiment of what are we doing with online escape rooms at this point? Because this mm. is, as we have had this mix of reopening, um, but also maybe people in places that don't have access to physical escape rooms or, a, you know, the range that we have certainly in places like LA, um, it sort of is like, okay, why, you know, as we often talk about the intentionality behind the design, and this is not something that you can do in person. This is something that needs to be remote and done in this type of, this is a great utilization of Zoom and its features. And so this is not something that you can go do. This is something that really needs to be done through this type of design. That definitely, I mean, that fact that the world sort of the post zoom semi post zoom world we live in uh is going to have some cool features to it uh including some cool zoom stuff i think is a a good sign for going forward right yep. um it's been such a such a weird quasi dismount here in the pen at the this phase of the pandemic that uh i don't know it's <laughs> At least there's there's good work being made still. Yay! People haven't given up on the format, which is good because we need the format. And uh, maybe there's some good iteration. Well, great. I think that's I think the, that's a key point, though, because I think at this point, with relatively where we are with reopening and kind of gathering as 
uh, gathering in groups among strangers and things like that. The people who are doing the Zoom based, like the new, like stuff that is coming out now that is, you know, not a reiteration or a rehash of something that has been on Zoom. Like there's that intention that they've thought about the medium, they thought about what can Zoom can do. And it's like, let's build around that, let's build with it rather than I feel like where we were at the very start which is a somewhat of unfair comparison, but it's like, okay, how do we jam pack everything into Zoom? Now we're like, at I think at that exciting stage where it's like, okay, I have an idea. It can only be done on Zoom. And then we build up from there. Right. right. Speaking of jam packing things, that was our 10 minutes. So Laura, <laughs> give a shout out to uh, that one again. And if you know how people can uh, track it down, uh, but definitely give the, definitely give a little back announce here with the name. Right. So the name of this particular show is The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us, and it's by Headlock Escape Rooms. And their uh, website is headlockescaperooms.co.uk. Do you remember if they have like any social media? Because that was something I was looking for the other day while posting it up to the review crew and could not find oh, it. Oh, you know what they do? Um, they have a website, but there is no um, uh, Twitter or like Instagram like icons on it. No, there there is. But I did see on Kara's post, uh, they have, yes, their Instagram. I don't know other social, but their Instagram is... Uh, well, actually, what is this? What is the character called? What is the... You would think I would know this by now. Well, well, Not the dash, but the underscore, right? Huh? The little at symbol? No, no, underscore, like um, oh. lower dash. What's yeah, the yeah, like yeah. downstairs underscore. dash? That's underscore. So yeah, it's like so head it's underscore headlock, lock? Uh, it's headlock underscore escape underscore rooms. That's some that's some SEO right there. Uh, okay, you want to follow along with them? Uh, hey, you know, look, we've got no underscore proscenium because Instagram, you know, is Instagram. But you know, still. Uh, all right, we are now 15 minutes in the recording, so we're going to keep on going along here. Uh, oh, hey, uh, I'm going to talk real quick. I'll try and keep this tight about uh, five R's. Uh, five R's, of course, is the see i'm gonna have to like i can never remember like the actual name of five r's because it's just like oh it's five r's you know like it, it's five r's so five r's is and this is embarrassing because like you know Karen, oh my god it, it led me to some like random website with it five hours the festival of international virtual and augmented reality stories that is the full name for five r's uh it is a festival that's going on online right now through November 2nd, they had an in-person version in Los Angeles, the 15th through the 17th, so over this past weekend. And of course, on the main show, we got to talk to Karam recently, and I was lucky, and you know, Karam was right there when I showed up and uh, gave me the gave me a bit of the tour, and I caught a number of pieces in this. And what's great is that, uh, unlike a lot of VR, AR stuff, uh, five hours is really focused on the stories aspect of it all. So I caught a 360 video, which I don't usually do a lot of those. And it was also, it was a 360 video about called surviving nine 11, 27 hours under the rubble, which was about the last person pulled out of the, the wreckage of the world trade center. And I don't do a lot of 360 video and I never exposed myself to nine 11 stuff because uh, I just, I, 
I was alive that day and an adult. I don't like remembering it when I, when I don't have to, uh, but it was really fascinating piece, really well done. Uh, you know, on the documentary side of things, there was also uh, a piece called belongings, which was a super personal, uh, story, uh, all object-based. Um, and, and this was, this was kind of like a, a really roughed out version of, of a piece. Uh, it was also the first time I got to see something in the, uh, uh, HP, uh, reverb, uh, headset, like the, the current one. And my God, the resolution on that thing is really incredible. Like you, you don't think that that stuff matters anymore. And then you look through something that has like the next iteration of it. And it's just like, my God, this is pristine. Like, wow. And when I say with belongings, when I say roughed out, like it, it really, it wasn't trying to be a graphical powerhouse or anything. Like you were in this little octagon and, uh, the, the skybox and what was beyond the octagon would change. And you could like kind of look through slots. Cause like it was shelving units and you were moved through, uh, just sort of the decades of this woman's life and were able to pick up objects and hear ostensibly her voice and it was a it was a character actor playing playing them uh but you you just got the 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 story of this woman's life or or kind of a a thread of the story because every few minutes without any control from you time just moved on you left the scene sometimes i was even like stuck in a scene longer than i expected to and there was like almost like nothing left to do. Most of the time there was plenty left to do. And I was like, oh, I didn't get to figure out everything. And that was like really fascinating. A little jarring just in terms of how the transi- transitions were, which I think actually like undermines that time effect they were going for. But, you know, this is a piece that when I say there were objects, you're probably imagining like, oh, here's a perfectly rendered little bottle filled with things that, you know, like, and then you pick it up and like, you're told like, oh, the the smell things. No, there was like a rectangle (laughs) and you pick up the rectangle and there's a perfectly beautiful picture of the bottle and each side of the rectangle has the right picture, but it is, it is not trying to do perfect visual fidelity. Instead, it's, the piece was really focused on uh, these narrative threads. That was fascinating. Well, really uh, quick with yeah. the transitions, like, so was it jarring in the sense that like, it was like a, a, a hard cut to black or was it like the no. overlay of the next time period? Like, oh, you just jumped difficult? to the next time period. It oh, was just, just like, a hard cut. It was just not even, I mean, not even a hard cut. Like it was more like, oh, did we shift? I don't know. Do we, and sometimes it was like, sometimes it's a clear hard cut. Cause like, oh, this is no longer what I was looking at. Other times it was like, oh, did, did things just shift a little bit? So, but again, they're not fully dialed in on that yet. I don't think, Uh um, this, this was, this was a festival piece. So it's like things have not, I don't think everything's fully baked on this one. Um, but that, that general sense of the story. So I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too much on that. Yeah. 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 But, but, but because this idea of like time is just advancing and you don't like, I think there actually is something to this storytelling technique. I just think that because there wasn't, there wasn't any kind of somatic cue to transition you at all. On the one hand, it was effective because you know, thematically life moves on. You have no control over it. On the other hand, uh, it, it was a little brain burning. <laughs> so once in a while in the piece, I was just like, well, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what's happening right here. I'm just a little, 
and, and in a way that wasn't like a big like it didn't give me vertigo or anything like that it was just it was discomfitting in a way that didn't feel like what was intended and if that is what was intended i'm a little like huh i don't know about that um the other two pieces um there was this uh piece called uh, i think oh god barnstormers i want to say i'm not looking at my notes right now yes that that yes. i'm looking at your review it is and it was about uh negro league baseball and so this this one kind of feels a little like a museum piece in that you know, you're getting, there's a, there's a narrator the entire time talking you through stuff and you get to do actions like play stickball with some kids and, you know, catch some pop-up flies and hit some, you know, hit some line drives and all that sort of stuff at, kind of like their quick time events. And like the being embodied and playing baseball in VR is awesome. And the story that they're telling is definitely worth telling. Um, it's just not necessarily all coming together in, you know, in, in a way that's tight. And even some of the order of things I think could be slightly different. And also the fact that we're being narrated the entire time with the exception of a couple of scenes where we're getting character moments, those character moments and we were directly being addressed, I feel are like particularly effective uh, in VR as a format. So uh, I, I still think there's some like, fine tuning to be done on, on this one. Uh, but as, as a direction, as a festival debut, as something like, Oh, this, this is, this is something. And also this idea of, Hey, check out the world from the point of view of someone who was a, a Negro league baseball star, right? That itself is a fascinating point of view. Uh, and, really one of the quintessential stories of America in the 20th century from my point of view. Um, and, and, and an constantly kind of overshadowed, overlooked, not talked about part of baseball history and American history. Like yeah. they, we, we talk about, we all know about it, but I, to your point now, like I, I come from a big family who loves baseball. And I think like the significance of the Negro league in the sport is just not acknowledged to the fullest extent that it could be. Not at all. Right. And, and the idea that we would get a story, you know, by black folk about black folk at a time when uh, it was even more, you know, well, now it's pretty bad too. Like, honestly, but like when it was even, even easier for it to be bad, <laughs> <laughs> to, to say it in a weird way uh i i it, it's such an important story to be explored i'm coming up at the end of my time here uh which is a little I bit of a shame oh. about the yeah just about the festival in general so in the selection of what you explored it's interesting to me that there's so much that's non-fiction um oh and, well, like you know, i mean you gotta understand like uh, sitting on the floor here is like the like eight page sheet uh, with like fifth or quarter page descriptions of everything. This was just what I went through. Like there are 
Right, but so that's my question. Actually, pieces. is like yeah. how much is this? Like, it's interesting to me that there's that there's such um, that there's experiences that are based in nonfiction or um, you know nonfiction elements. And so, would you say that this selection that you did, does the whole does the I whole festival have like roughly that kind of? I couldn't tell you because I'm looking at this. So this is one, two, three, four, five. Sorry, six, seven, eight nine, sorry, 10 pages. Oh, okay. Uh, one, two, three, four, there's four, there's five, like there's four or five on each page. And, you know, there's, there's stuff in here, like surviving nine 11 was definitely, you know, nonfiction. Uh, you know, the next piece I would have talked about Andy's world, which I think actually is, was, is really fascinating. This one was all in Chinese. So I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on, but, uh, at least not, verbally but i did understand some from kind of the themed entertainment you know environmental storytelling uh, practice it was also a piece that was running streamed to a quest off of a pc but being played downstairs in in the ground floor parking lot so it was being streamed off a pc through the building's walls and we were doing redirected walking stuff a la the void in the basement which is just kind of a technical marvel. And it was fairly flawless on that streaming. Again, just going off like Oculus Link or something like that. And not even something, pretty sure it was Oculus Link. And actually it could have been virtual desktop. I'll take that back. Um, I didn't ask. Because I was more amazed at how well the redirected walking stuff was going in order to create this expansive sense when I was probably walking around, I don't know, a 10 foot square volume, if that. And it felt like I went on a real journey. Um, But like I had a two hour slot and I talked to people too. So like there was, there was not enough time to like, you know, delve into other things. And like Madrid Noir, for instance, is in here. A few of us have played that here uh, at No Pro. Um, Next time, you know, a Candle House Collective piece is in there. Onboard XR is in there. So it, it's it's a really diverse group of uh, of pieces, and not all of it is uh, not all of it is nonfiction. I just that weekend found myself wanting to explore these nonfiction pieces. Yeah, I think that's great. I, and so, wait, Candlehouse Collective. Next time, there's a VR or AR no, version of next because well, like they're they're approaching this as like, you know, audio as augmented reality. Mm, okay, right? okay. So a really expansive. That's the other thing. I really like Five R's approach to what they're doing because it mirrors ours. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I love cinnamon rolls. Ooh, you make cinnamon rolls too. Ooh, wow. Sorry. Um, where did where did Sully from Sesame Street come from? Jeez, I don't know, but I heard there's cinnamon rolls. Um, okay, so someone's hungry. Uh, yeah, uh, I really, I really like their curatorial approach. I think it's Patrick's turn now. Patrick, and that's five hours. <laughs> so five hours, yes. the festival where, where of international, virtual, it? and argument reality stories. Five hours, f i v a r s dot net. And the online portion of it, which is like 45 bucks, uh, if you have a headset, you can go to five hours these days, right now, through November 2nd. Patrick, your turn. Right now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I'm here to talk about a piece that I'm really kind of excited about. 
Uh, this is The Light in the Mist. It is from Post Curious. This is a quote, like literally from the cover of the box, a tarot puzzle tale where one to four players investigate the disappearance of their high school friend, uh, Sam, who, you know, you, you're, you're all in high school and, you know, Sam has grown distant and you feel like things are up. And then suddenly one day, you know, Sam's nowhere to be found and you know how much they loved this creepy cabin in the woods with this old woman who you is described in the narrative. Maybe she's a witch. Maybe I'm just being too mean to old women. I don't know. And <laughs> she has Sam's tarot deck and only through a close and deep examination of each major arcana card, will you be able to find where Sam is? And I mentioned this in my review because uh, you might've noticed that I didn't call this in a, like an at home escape room box because while very similar in the sense that it is a box that holds a bunch of things that are puzzles, this is so far away and so far removed from just like you get the box and there's a bunch of random loose papers and a bunch of envelopes that say, don't open yet. Uh, this very much is, I think, what excites me about it is like the next step of what I want all at-home escape room boxes to be. So when you actually open uh, the light in the mist open, you know, there's a there's a story booklet, which is basically, you know, read the flavor text in the beginning, set the narrative tone, here's how you're going to play it, which essentially, as I mentioned somewhat, is that there are the 22 major arcana cards where each one contains uh, a puzzle that you need to parse out and solve for, which the solution will be an English word, which then you go to the index in the back, find it to unlock a new part of the story booklet to read, to like discover or re-experience a memory that you had with Sam, or maybe it's something from their family involving, you know, their their parents and their brother, and you just keep expanding and doing that. And all of the minor arcana cards, they feed into solving one of the major arcana cards. And so what's also really cool is all the minor arcana cards are used multiple times mm. um, across it. Cause I think uh, I, I don't know my tarot decks well, but I think there's like another like 30 cards. It's, it's, it's like 22 and, maybe 30 to 40 cards in the minor arcana set. And they're all jam packed with detail. So in that sense, like I think this is closer to like a sandbox of immersive experience with a little bit of that choose your own adventure. Cause very rightfully so in the story booklet, when you like go to look up the answer, it's not like the first puzzles on page one, the second puzzles on page two, it's all mixed in. There's different numbers and references. So it's not like you can accidentally, spoil something for yourself when you you know you flip past the section you need to read and I, I, i'm just i was just really in love with this idea that you open the as i said you open the box and it's it's a practical thing because the other great thing is that after you finish this whole entire experience if you if, if this has been a gift or if you love all things tarot 
you can use the deck for your tarot purposes. Like it's a fully functional deck. It has usage beyond it. It's no Mm. longer just a bunch of random stuff in the box that you're like, well, maybe I'll kind of restuff the envelope and I'll pawn it off to someone I know who really likes these kind of things. Like this experience just keeps giving in that sense, you know? And so also can't you, um, can't, you can also do, correct me if I'm wrong. You can also do this sort of from the beginning for yourself, right? It's based on which cards you draw. Right. So that's, that's the other thing. So you could, if you wanted to go, uh, one through 22 or, is it zero through 21? Whatever the major arcana card numbering is, you could do it that way. I did it by letting fate play a role in the game where I just drew one at random. And, you know, sometimes it was a pretty straightforward kind of average puzzle that puzzle experience where maybe you've seen it before. I, I don't want to get too much into it because it's very easy to spoil these things, but you know, there's, there's standard puzzles we all know and we've all encountered, whether it's in a box or in a room. You just, the golden classics, they work for a reason. But then there are some like heavy, deep head scratchers to this. And it definitely had me like, oh man, like I really got to think about this to the point where I, I'll tease that sometimes you had to like move the cards. You had to literally look at the card in a different way. Or maybe mesh the cards together, the minor cards, the minor arcana cards together. So like on top of that, there's definitely the idea of like, you know, you read a piece of paper in a a more traditional at-home escape box, you know, you read it up, down, whatever. Like there's depth to the puzzles of like, not everything is just staring at it. Sometimes you have to like move the card around, change your perspective, maybe see how images might line up with each other. Like, is there Mm. connections to be made? Like you're constantly playing and you're constantly exploring and you're just by yourself at the table with, you know, one or two or three other people. If, if you have the folks around. Well, and you mentioned in your review that the hint system is fantastic. Can you talk more about that without spoiling? Yeah, no, I can easily talk about this because I I, I do a lot of these kind of at home things and uh, hint systems are so tricky. And <laughs> I will say I, I went to um, recon and post curious creator Rita Orlov. She did a talk, a, a fascinating talk on the hint system, which is available online on YouTube on their channel. And I mean, it would be pretty weird if her, she gave a great talk and her hint system sucked, but I'm glad to report that's not the case because <laughs> What happens, I feel like, with a lot of these things is that you get one or two hints, and then it's the solution. And usually, like, the first hint is always, like, a very big, like, are you looking at the right piece of paper, dummy? And then the second hint is, like, way too, like, instructive. Well, if it's raining outside, and that changes the window pane's color, and if colors mix like that, what do you get? Which is basically like, okay, the solution where it, where the hint system in the light in the mist, what happens is, is like, it's very small. It's their very small hints. Hint one is like, did you read this section? Hint two, after reading that section, did you notice anything interesting about these two? And then for some of the really comp, like it's very like step by step. There's no presumption that you picked up everything 
or you are aware of what's going on, or maybe it's the first time you're counting. Because like in the same so it's way- it's just like, much more incremental. Yes, it's much more incremental okay. in a very pleasing way because sometimes there was, there I because I, I had to review it, I had to go quickly. So I, I was taking some hints occasionally, but what was really helpful is like, if there was eight hints, maybe all it took is like to get to hint three and be like, oh, I see what this puzzle is about. And then I was able to go through everything without needing more hints, where I feel like there are less hint, there are, there are not as good hint systems that sometimes give all eight steps away in one step. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hello? What, did we lose Noah? He started to talk and then he stopped. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, <laughs> while we wait for Noah to come back around, whether this is going to make it into the podcast, I-, I-, I will warn them in the sense that there are a few things that, you know, some of these puzzles are very hard to the point where like the tarot cards, while I love this idea, there's like some really teeny tiny small stuff details that are hard to differentiate like for, like laura what's the difference between a circle and an oval like you know or like when does an oval become an eye and like the differences and things and stuff like that hmm. um and, and you then, did this alone or you did do this with people at times so yeah so what i did is i did this with my partner at the table uh and unfortunately this is the other big complaint is the box says five hours plus which is fair, but frankly, it was pretty much all the way up to, it took me 10 hours plus with their involvement. Um, so, you know, like I, I would say in that sense, just be really mindful of how much time, because like I was talking to Kevin Gossett about this, is that I really wish I had more time. Like you could do one of these puzzles at a day. And so basically, the, but those are very small criticism and otherwise what I think is a truly kind of revolutionary puzzle box experience. So this is uh, the light in the, uh, the light in the mist. This is from post curious. They are, uh, you can find them as post curious on most uh, social media. And this was originally a Kickstarter, which is closed, but you can go to their website and sign up for a late pledge and hopefully get in if they have enough copies available. All right. Keeping with our palindrome theme here, uh, it's going to fling back to me. I want to talk real quick about just kind of like the immersive theater vibe in Los Angeles right now. Uh, over the weekend, I went to uh, the I Knew What You Did Last Summer activation that was over at the Ghost Light put on by jfi productions for the amazon prime show um this was a free production it was like a re-skinning of creep 2021 like a lot of the same cast i think with a couple of additions uh maybe a couple of people weren't on that night but uh some some additions to the cast uh there was uh they took it they took sections the, the layout was the same the bar area was the bar area and they had like this is kind of important. They had atmospheric actors doing things on a loop that uh, was designed to keep people engaged and keep people amused. This being an activation, there was also free booze and there was really good pizza. <laughs> uh, Laura, if you're a pizza person, I'll tell you where it is later. I kind of don't want to tell everybody because I don't want this place to blow up too much because I want to <laughs> be able to get my za and it is near my neighborhood. So I'm like, I need to keep this a little on the DL real ones know and can hit me up um so the it, it was just really fun captured the 
definitely captured the spirit of the show. It got me watching the show, which I think is like half the reason why these things, not half, the entire reason why these things exist. I went ahead and watched the show because of it. Uh, the show has its moments. Uh, I got a friend who's in it, who's actually like been a member of JFI. Like I think that's also the connection. Like Fiona Renee like helped direct the Willows and is in this Amazon Prime show. And Fiona does a great job. Like Fiona's a Fiona's a fantastic actress. She was on Stumptown. She's a really great human being and a really good performer and super engaging. And like, I feel like the cast for this, actually, this thing, I will say pretty much uniformly, the cast in this show is great. I don't know what the writing on the show is doing and I've never seen the original film and I definitely hadn't read the novel that it's based off of. So I'm just like, so you don't know what happened last summer. I don't know what happened (laughs) last summer, but Patrick, let me also point out that right in the very first episode when like they start off right now and then like they find like the titular, like, you know, things saying, I know what you did last summer. And then we instantly go to flashback to last summer, but it doesn't just say last summer. It put quotes around last summer. And I was like, why are you putting quotes mm. around last summer? Like, I get it. It was grad night. Well, but like, why do you got to like, why you got to be like that? I know what you did last summer. Why you got to put quotes on last summer? Well, it with has climate a control, with like climate issues, like what is summer anymore? <laughs> oh, and also, you're okay, all out in California. It, like, isn't it summer no, no, no. They're 14 in months out of the year? They're in Hawaii. So it's oh. like endless summer. So, but like still, I don't think that's why they put quotes on it. But anyway, um, enough about the show. It was I was super impressed by what they did. It was so much fun. I came out of that thing amped. Wasn't even going to talk about it. But I think I think a big part of that was how much fun the performers were having. Like that was really obvious. And you know, look, a lot of these people have been working together for a long time. Some of them are friends. Some of them are partners. They were playing grad school night teens. All these people are in their mid twenties. They were having a blast. That energy was infectious, um, and just just what a, a joy to go through. And it was really fun watching totally normal people who've never been to one of these things just kind of freak out at what was going on around them. Like Wait, how could, so? I want to hear more about that. So, like, um, they were just they were like just like oh my god i can't believe this is happening what is going on like like th- everyone's acting like this is real there was that kind of thing there's also a lady who like grabbed on me during like the haunt part she literally she was like grabbing on to different people and she just turned to me and she's like oh like oh i grab onto people now so now it's you and i'm like okay <laughs> like protect me I'm like sure right and i was like adorable uh because there wasn't anything too scary in it but like there was this moment there was this fantastic moment where because you know it's i know what you did last summer and like you know everyone's like talking about like there's this girl who went missing and yada 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 and there's this moment and we're just like there was a dip in the music and then one of the actresses comes out of the back and it's just like oh oh my god oh my god she's like really freaking out everyone's like what and like the whole room goes quiet and everyone's paying attention and from like the from the up close to her to like all the way in the back like a good 20 feet worth of people in what had been a loud space suddenly everyone's on bated breath because it's like oh my god did someone die what's going on she's like i i my phone dropped in the toilet and just like everyone just like (laughs) burst out laughing and just it punctured so all this tension built up and then a comic beat and just perhaps like the single best piece of what you know, at Disney, they'd call streetmosphere, like the single best streetmosphere moment I've seen. 
uh, in one of these kind of things pretty much ever. And uh, just just kudos to the team for for rocking with that. I'm running out of time because I was whacking poetic about this thing. Uh, so last night I caught and some of the same actors involved and other people who have been part of that troupe, uh, part of that company. I caught a piece uh, in Hollywood called Hollywood and Vamp. It's running, I think, for three more nights. It really feels like a test run. Uh, it's from the people who did Corn Scream over the course of uh, of the pandemic, which was like uh, Scream as like kind of a live, a, a, a halfway live interactive movie bit that they were doing over Zoom. They had pre-recorded bits and some live bits. And this was split down the middle between a kind of atmospheric vampire lounge in Hollywood. Um, and there was in the back, there was like a, a rock and roll set, an eighties rock hairband rock set uh, in, in the space there. This is done at the bourbon room, which was the venue that was refurbished for rock of ages, which grand opening grand closed basically about a, you know, right before pandemic uh, did not reopen uh, when pandemic hit. Uh, but I think had may have already been like mortally wounded before the pandemic. Um, it was a space that had been the Beetle House before, so a space that's been kind of known for you know doing some immersive or immersive light type stuff. Um, the actors in the lounge, because a lot of them were skilled, it was great. The what exactly was going on wasn't entirely clear. What was sort of sad, um, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, was just like the story was kind of incomprehensible when we actually did this rock cabaret show at times, like the music, like the vocal mix was off. So like the kind of feel bad for like the initial singer because like his mix was so off that like, you couldn't even you could barely tell he was singing at times. It was opening night. These sorts of things happen. Um, it was definitely like a shakedown cruise kind of thing. Lots of invited press, lots of, lots of, uh, lots of test audience people. Uh, and again, they're they're running it like three more times kind of as a Halloween special, but I, I, they put so much effort into that part of the show that I got to imagine that they're kind of eyeing as to whether or not they're gonna, you know, go ahead and do this thing down the road. And I think there's a lot of potential here, but what we saw last night, they finally got to in that cabaret show, it was relatively rough for a while. And then they got into this bit that at first felt the bit was like going completely off the rails but then it had this little turn to it and revealed that no, it was not off the rails. This was the way it was supposed to be going. And that like, that like section, which was maybe like five or seven minutes long was so good that I was like, wow, this really turned a corner. And then basically it was over. Like that was pretty much the end of the show. There was like one more bit and then the show was over. And I was like, wait, it just got good. Why is this over now? Um, and I think that there's, there's something to having this kind of vampire lounge thing. And look, this is not the first time there's been a vampire lounge in Los Angeles. Uh, I believe the Count's Den still exists, uh, which is attached to an escape room and they have a kind of an ongoing story going on there with what they, what they do. Uh, there was, uh, a regularly occurring, like, a goth club that had a whole vampire storyline going in it. That was run by a woman named Victoria Lane. That was around for a long time. That may still, that may come back again at some point. I don't know. Uh, I have no intel on that. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a thing. 
I definitely found myself slipping into LARP mindset, but I think that there's, there's a lot more that could be done, particularly to like get normies into it. And I, I want to see it iterated on, but I think just like from a, from a, from a storytelling perspective, there was a lot of exposition and not a lot of draw, not a lot of soap operatics. And with vampires, go for the soap opera. Don't worry about the exposition. No one cares about the rules. The rules are they drink blood to, to survive, and they're all horny. Uh, those are the rules of vampires. Um, and uh, what they, how that manifests, that determines what kind of vampire story you're in. And the idea that we're going to do it '80s hair glam vampires in Hollywood, like, like people who are who, people who got to the sunset strip in the eighties and, and never left the eighties version of the sunset strip. That's a brilliant high concept. And I, I want to see it uh, iterated on. So that's my bit about Hollywood and vamp. Uh, uh, I, I, I wish them, I wish them success on this test run. Uh, but I, I do hope that they, uh, they, they look at this into some of the stuff on the story side and, and, and do some work on it. And that was a 10 minute, monologue from me. <laughs> you do them so well. I think, I think that's, we're just going to encourage me. Don't encourage me. <laughs> I don't need encouraging monologues. The vampire monologues. The vampire monologues. Yeah. that would get me in trouble real quick. Let me tell you. Um, on the other hand, could totally do them. Uh, did either of you have any questions about those, by the way? Like, well, I had, yeah, I have one. Um, sure. uh, so, I think was it Edward? Someone did a cabaret. Mm. Oh, was it cabaret? Was it burlesque? Yeah, it was like a burlesque cab. I mean, look, bur- cabaret shows and burlesque, burlesque shows crossover. Sure. Ask a question. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. This so I, I'm just trying to understand. Like, do you feel? Because I feel like with that production, there was an issue where uh, Edward thought it was very well done. The production quality was high, etc. But it was not an immersive show. And so, do you feel like this? does fall under that immersive banner you know what because of the pre-show we we met all of the characters in the show we got to meet before the show and interact with them before the show took off and then they did the show i think one of the issues is that the way the story is like the story is kind of complete in and of itself by the end um in case someone hears this, you know, it, it's, it's open. This will drop on Thursday or so. And then like, it's open for a week. I, I don't want to spoil the story, but like it's structured in such a way that like, there's, there's not a lot of places to go at the end of the, the rock show at the end of the set, at the end of the cabaret show. Mm-hmm. And that's a little unfortunate because once we understand who the characters are, it's, it's, it'd be a lot easier to interact with them, right? Like you're kind of, you're in a cold start in the lounge. But on the other hand, because we've been interacting with these characters and they've been giving us like glorious amounts of tood, um, I want to call out uh, in a good way, like uh, you know, Sophie Claire Cooper was like the first of the actors that I encountered. Uh, she's often put into the role of like the first immersive actor you encounter. She's done this for Cages uh, she's done this for JFI. Like she's been like a plant at J- in, in at House of Creep. She is very good at onboarding people into the world. She knows exactly what to do to kind of like give you the lay of the land, uh, not just from a sense of scripting, but in terms of like how to set tone and mood and like give those little interactions that make you go like, oh, I understand where I am right now and like orient you real quick. 
And so I got, I got the privilege of, of having that right at the start. So I knew really where I was and I walked in and like one of the other, one of the go-go dancers was just like hissed at me and said like, I'll leave as fast as you can. Right. And so I was like, Oh, cool. Like we're, this is a, this, this place we're in this place. But then they don't, they didn't really have a process for processing everybody through, but I will say this much because of all that, the cabaret, it felt like, okay, now I'm watching these characters perform. I wasn't watching these actors perform. I was watching these characters perform. And I think that that elevates it to our world. And that is like the approach for, you know, when you're doing cabaret and you want it to be immersive, I think, I think that's almost like required. I just kind of wish that it was structured so that that show was like the middle act of like a denouement afterwards Mm -hmm. and like there there seemed to be maybe a little bit of that going on but there were no threads to carry out so again i think there's a lot of there's some work to be done here to make something interesting and compelling and maybe even something that could be you know have seasons to it like there's a model that can be pursued here and also could be a lot of fun and like i mentioned other people are pursuing this kind of vampire lounge model right uh and have in the past uh but we don't usually see uh a lot of we see a lot of failures to get cabaret and immersive going and i think this is the secret you got to put the cabaret performers into role beforehand and and in the middle and during and afterwards and just maintain the illusion of the world mm-hmm. so that when they do break the fourth wall in the cabaret you don't feel like, oh, the performer's breaking the fourth wall. You feel like, oh no, that's this character stepping down. Like they're like they're they're talking to me because like they were talking to me earlier. Right, right. right. And, and to ask a really painfully stupid question, um mm-hmm. were were you seated seat were you seated during the, the cabaret portion? Or yes. were maybe you kind of, okay, interesting. Yeah, like, like I, normal. I thought you were gonna ask if I was assigned like, you know, a clan or sect. Well I and you know. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I think there's also an interesting thing about, like, I think because uh, in regards to, uh, I believe, uh, yeah, Laura, you're right, it was Edward's experience is that, like, I think it was like a very, it was even more passive and more like definitely just a seated experience. And I was just kind of curious, Noah, if that was going to be a commonality of maybe a, a barrier that's occurring that just like the cabaret, I think, model, to your point, is a very good idea and it's something maybe worth exploring but i wonder how much of that like then you just sit down and you're just you know you have a drink and all that and it's nice but like it it just shelves you into a very passive role very quickly and one that allows maybe you to tune out or maybe for you to lower your personal stakes a bit you know i mean the other thing that was fun going on is like you know some of those those atmospheric characters they were watching the show too and I was just a few feet away from one of them. And so one of them like turned and glared at me. And so I glared at him back. And so like <laughs> that whole little vibe, right. Was carrying yes. on. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is like super smart. And then, yeah, they did, they did some gags where it's like, Oh, somewhere in the audience, like someone has what we want, like vampire, you know, go, go girls, get them. Right. You know, they did, they did that that routine right and some like there was actually a really funny bit where they were like dragging people up to be sniffed 
and they, they dragged this one lady up. One of the one of the gals dragged a lady up, and then they, and then a couple of minutes later, the other one grabbed her and like tried to bring her up. And then they, the, the two vampire girls were like all like, "I already grabbed her. What are you doing?" You know? I turned to my friends. I'm like, "Oh look, <laughs> like it's like it's chaos." But it was really funny and felt natural, right? Yeah. You know, like like it didn't it it was it was unscripted. It also felt like the kind of thing that w- would happen at like a chaotic vampire night. Um, and, and that's, that for me was fun, right? The, the funnest parts were when things felt like they were about to like completely go off the rails, but didn't. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I, I think that there's, I think even when you go and you like put people in the modality of like, and now you're going to watch this performance, right. And you're going to take away people's agency. If you still have things bubbling under, I mean, that was the thing, other thing, like at the beginning of the show, people were so, I think a lot of people were like into the vibe and like talking and they were happy to see each other and blah, 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 that like, as the show started, much like at a rock show, there were a lot of people still just talking when the first musical number happened. Mm. Like it was, it was that, that did not help the sound mix at all. <laughs> and it was, I was kind of like, oh, wow, are you guys not like not going to respect that there's a show going on? And like, no, they weren't really. Cause they were like, oh, you know, like we've got a sleazy bar vibe and like the, I know who that character is. So whatever, right. I'm going to watch so, so-and-so set, but we're like watching music and, and that kind of stuff that starts to feel really organic. Um, again, I think that can be iterated on. Um, and I think where the show wasn't working was when it was super presentational um you know and and trying to give exposition and trying to do plot but when it was like characters being character and and the vibe being the vibe um i was like yeah i'm here for this vibe it uh it's playing still in hollywood it is 75 dollars. it comes with a drink but so that means it's basically 60 bucks uh and it's about I want to say it's about 90 minutes total. Uh, but the, um, I think what it's particularly good for is if you're the type of immersive head who likes to kind of like lead and like, I don't want to say be aggro or like aggressively play, but if, if you're the, if you're the kind of person who likes to like go up to the actors and start really digging in and getting them to like perform, uh, I think this, the lounge part is probably good for you. If you're like me and you kind of like to watch the threads and see how things play along um, or how I usually am last night, I did instantly jump into a character uh, because I played vampire LARPs for three years. Like if I'm in a vampire setting, I cannot help but start just improvising stuff. I had a whole backstory worked out within two minutes of me arriving and I wasn't even intending on doing it. Someone asked me what my name was and I was like, uh, and then next thing I know I had a character. <laughs> Sorry. It happens. <laughs> it's my curse. Are you going to tell yeah. us the name? No. Cause we're 20. I'll tell you guys afterwards. We're 21 minutes into this segment. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> it's supposed to be a 10 minute segment. Now we're 21 minutes of Noah. So, um, so right on track. <sighs> Yeah, like I said, don't encourage me to monologue. Laura, you get to wrap us up tonight with uh, with what you saw. So this is um, this is an interesting way to end. So this production, it's a Lithuanian production. It's called Sun and Sea uh, by an all female creative team. Um, this actually 
first premiered in Lithuania, but its international premiere was at the 2019 Venice Biennale. And then it's only recently come stateside. So there was a four-city U.S. tour that concluded in Los Angeles. It was presented by MOCA, and it was at the MOCA Geffen Contemporary, um, in partnership with the Hammer Museum and CAP UCLA. And so there's um, this production is a this may sound like a word salad, but this is this is true. Uh, so it's an operatic production that is rooted in our climate crisis. It is set on a fake beach, and the performers are, uh, you know, the beachgoers. They are vacation vacationers. They're singing about things like romance and omelets and sunscreen application as well as uh, rising acidity in our oceans and, um, you know, extinction and pollution and bleached coral. So that is the, that is this production. And it is, uh, so touring vocalists were locally supported in each city. And here in LA, it's a choral ensemble called Tonality. They actually specialize in concerts with themes of social justice. And the, the thing that for me was so interesting about this is that, so I've actually seen different reports on how much sand was used, but uh, MOCA says that there were 10 tons of sand. So you come in and the show is an hour long and you are, um, I was in the uh, performance that was in between there. I believe there were three shows a day for three consecutive days. So this is a very, very small you know, short run. Not a lot of people are getting to see this. And I do think that there's a problem with that um, besides the obvious. So you are kind of um, the beachgoers, these vacationers, they are just as they would at the beach. So they're in wetsuits and they're in bathing suits and there's endless snacking. There was a dog there. Uh, there's kids that are playing and building sandcastles. And lots of these normal beach-going activities, and then you have these incredible vocalists. And so you as the audience come into the space on scaffolding. You are peering down on the performers and their beach setting. And I thought that was such an interesting choice, because if this were the kind of thing where we're at the same level as the beachgoers, I think it would be a completely different experience. This really emphasized because we're on scaffolding, which is you know kind of cage-like, and then based on our perspective, it really emphasized the kind of zoo-like aspect of this production. And the reason why this is so important is because of the theme of the environmental crisis that we're dealing with now. And it really made me think of well, actually, wait, let me let me stop there for a second. Are there questions about this or things that you want me to dive in on? I want to I want to definitely want to get into the theme. I'm, I'm kind of getting some this whole idea of being on the scaffolding and looking down. I'm getting some Grotowski towards a poor theater vibes. You know, I'm having flashbacks to descriptions of productions that Grotowski's company did where they would invite everyone uh, to, like, stand on these little almost like stand on that fence railing and like look down at the performers uh, performing. But this feels also like a little more like the pictures I've seen, the pictures you took and the other pictures I've mm -hmm. seen makes it feel almost like a museum installation, but 
I, I, I didn't fully grok that this was like a, a full on performance in this way. It's such a fascinating structure. Uh, yeah, it is. And I do think there's something, I think what makes it feel, I, I certainly think that kind of you know, museum like exhibition vibe is there. I think what for me emphasizes the more sort of zoo like atmosphere is that so they are just continuously performing there is no applause first of all uh, mm. we were told no applause and they just move continuously they cycle through each you know roughly hour long performance cycle and they do move i mean people so i mentioned a wetsuit earlier there is a surfer um, she at one point uh, you know is uh, reading she gets up she zips up her wetsuit, heads off with her surfboard, and later comes back. Uh, and she's completely wet, and she uh, takes up her spot at her towel. So there's a real kind of, um, there's obviously a naturalism in terms of what you do at the beach and how they move the performers around. And they are also, like the kids that I mentioned, the kids are running around. They are talking at regular volume. So there isn't anything that feels precious in terms of the performance. It feels very realistic. And it also just feels like it exists whether or not you are there. It's sort of a Schrodinger's cat of the, the, the theater in a way. And so to me, that really emphasized, again, this zoo-like quality. And I think because it's from this perspective of being above, and again, kind of like a... Um, you know, you're looking down into a microscope, you're looking at a slide or a petri dish. There's a lot about the vantage point uh, that really emphasizes that scientific quality. Obviously, also the audience were all masked. So when this first premiered, it was pre-pandemic, but I think, you know, now even having a masked audience really emphasizes that kind of scientific or zoo-like uh, sensibility. And, um, and so what I was going to mention that what it reminded me of is there is a, and I think this is really powerful work because obviously our climate crisis is only getting worse. There's so much debate, especially right now with this new package in the government. And so I, I think that this, I mean, is this going to solve our climate crisis, this kind of art, you know, even though it's great art. No, of course not. But I do think that reframing this incredible, uh, I mean, just crucial, pivotal challenge of our time around our environmental emergency, there's a reframing that I think happens spatially that is so vital. And um, I was reminded of, this was also in 2019 in Austria, there was a Swiss curator uh, by the name of, I have it here somewhere, uh, Klaus Littmann. And Klaus Littmann, in a stadium in Austria, planted 300 trees. And so they're in the center of the stadium. And if you look at this, the title is For Forest. And this was based on uh, a dystopian vision by another artist named Max uh, Peitner, I believe is the name. And it is imagining what would the world be like if trees only existed 
similar to species of animals in a zoo. So the, the entertainment, quote unquote, of this stadium within the stadium is not, it's not sports. It's just a forest of trees. And it is a remarkable image. It's a harrowing image. And I think that these kinds of works really do, you need that kind of scale. You need that kind of spatial reframing that, that can hit you in an emotional way, in a visceral way, like no other. So I do think this was a beautiful, I mean, there were charming moments, funny, there were, um, it's interesting to have something as horrific as the climate crisis presented with these absolutely stunning vocals. But I think it's, it's the way that it is framed. It is crucial to be looking down on it, um, uh, in I my opinion. Well, I think it's actually looking at it clinically because I think, I think while it is a zoo, and I, I appreciated you talking a little bit more about, you know, you're in masks, you're looking down at things. But it's it's not like the scaffolding. It, it's scaffolding, in it, but it's not like at any point it's there's a mirage or a trick to make you think like at that level where all those people are on the beach, like the beach goes on, there's water eventually, or there's, you know, a city or a town or just more nature to it. And in, in listening to you talk and, and this idea comes to me is that I think sometimes all art gets, uh, regardless of media, get medium, excuse me, gets really caught up in like, look at us convey this message so beautifully and so articulately. And isn't it just like stunning and amazing where in listening to you and looking at these images again, like just like the there's a sense of direness in the the clinical the, the clinical nature of it all. Yes. And how like the, like this is the situation. We're not trying to gussy it up. Look, observe, notice, think about it, you know? I think that's totally true. And I will say also the scaffolding was incorporated you know, it's not that the uh, performers ignored the scaffolding. Towels were draped over scaffolding. So that that is also utilized. And I will say, I have not read it yet, but I also think there's an important part of this conversation around, um, I mean, I'm so thrilled. I feel so fortunate that Sun and Sea came to Los Angeles. Again, it's only four U.S. cities and it was an incredibly limited run. And I realized that there's, um, I'm not trying to minimize what goes into these kinds of works, but there's also a conversation to be had around how many people can experience this. And it was, I mean, I had put it in my calendar to get tickets and I think it sold out incredibly quickly. I, based on what I know about the production, probably around a thousand people in Los Angeles got to experience this. And it's an, it's an again, I think it's such an important work in terms of how it it reframes this entire crisis. And so the LA Times has a review, like I said, I haven't read it yet, um, but I believe that that review, from what I saw on social media, goes into kind of the smugness around people that got to go to this performance, to see, to see this production. And that is really um, in contrast and working against ultimately the theme, the, the core theme of the production. And so how do we make this kind of art, which I do believe is so important and so crucial to specifically this messaging, how do we make that more accessible to people? Because I mean, I mean the thing is like, I, I don't know. 
I don't know if we need to make everything accessible to everybody, particularly because when things are of, of, of a particular scale or need to be in, in structure or they can only have such a, a, a runtime, right? Like it'd be nice if more, I think, I think it'd be, I think it's also nice if like not the same group of people always get to experience the same type of things if there's a bigger demand, right? Like, you know, finding more equitable ways to do all that sort of stuff. But I think the, the, more critical thing on two levels is one when it comes to the message of it, right? Is this going to alter the Overton window on this topic for some people who might not see it otherwise, right? Like who, who really needs to experience this and is anyone making any effort to make sure the people who need to experience it are experiencing it, right? If it is you know, that powerful. And then in the other breath are people coming out of this work and thinking about other ways to make work that reflect the ideas, the values, the structural choices in order to not necessarily reproduce this particular piece, but to translate a singular piece of art into something that looks more like a movement. That's right. That I think that kind of accessibility, like more stuff of this nature so more people can see. I mean, I have a bias towards that because I feel like that's ultimately part of our mission. And then anyone who's also got a similar mission, we're like a natural ally too. I mean, I definitely do think this production falls into the category of um, there. there's obviously an elitist aspect to the art world um, and – I think that there were a number of people who, again, at least what I saw on social media, that felt very disgruntled that this was so limited and sold out so quickly. There weren't any sort of walk up or wait list. It felt very exclusive. And I do think that 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 is something that's obviously an issue in the art world in general. I also think that there, look, you know, not every production has to do everything, but I think a production that I've talked about before which I feel very strongly about, which is the plastic bag store. And that had layers of activism woven into it. And I do think that there's a way that that could have been better utilized and incorporated in this production, where then it does feel like it's also including people who either feel shut out or don't even know about these types of works. That then becomes like, if it's, if it is just going to like those who are already in the notes, like the hot concert ticket, you know, Oh, you weren't there on day one. Nah, too bad. Right. Right. Like, and, and that's, that creates a very, and that also creates a brittle market. Right. Like yeah, definitely. From, a, from a, from a capital standpoint, I mean, we would often wax fairly poetic about how immersive theater in LA, you had like, you know, the Vanguard fans who would go in, snap up all the tickets, sometimes snap up two, three tickets to something. And then those companies couldn't grow. And then if they had an off show and you had people who had bought two or three tickets who were then like, oh, I didn't like it at all. Now I want to offload all these tickets and they couldn't offload the tickets. And it meant that people weren't, you know, they weren't able to like create a more diverse and a broader audience base for them and for, for a artistic group or for anyone making content or media, you need as you, you do need as big of an audience as you can uh, just for stability's sake, 
Right. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a, the biggest audience in the world, but the broader it is, the more resilient you are. Um, but when you get these like, you know, hyper, you know, when something's got a lot of buzz and whatnot, yeah, you, you'll get these sellouts, you know? And, but the funny thing is, is like, then you don't, you don't, you plan for the sellouts or like you don't have enough. I don't know. I, I, I've learned far too much about this part of, you know, this business part of it uh, over the past few years. And I start to become like obsessed over all, all the ways that, you know, it does and doesn't work mm-hmm. for folks. All right. We've done, uh, I want to say we've done like the better part of, uh, 70, maybe going on 80 minutes now. So, uh, uh, I think we're, we're at a good spot. Laura, was there anything else you want to kind of wrap up here with sun and sea? No, I think that, I mean, I think we, we dove into it quite a bit, pun intended. Nice. Um, well, there might be a hard edit there or there might not be. I'm just going to call that one out because I had a little equipment failure. Uh, but yeah, uh, Laura, you were saying we pretty much covered it all. <laughs> yes. I think we, we, uh, we dove into the waters of sun and sea. Excellent. Oh, another pun. Well I done. know. I'm sorry. I apologize. You apologize? What? No. Oh. Um, all right. Um, uh, okay. No more pun mentos from me. Uh, I'm just going to take us, take us out of this. Uh, and uh, for those who want to know what winds up being our pick of the week, check out the next episode in your podcast feed. It's coming out uh, this Friday program note for everybody. Uh, this will be the last episode. Uh, no, hold on. <laughs> Let me say this right. This Friday will be the last episode of the main podcast until November 5th. There will be review crew next week. Uh, but the episode, the recording will not drop until Monday the 1st because I'm on vacation. And despite the fact that Facebook has called for Facebook connect and has could very well announce a bunch of hardware, uh, and announce their new name, uh, which we think is either going to be Horizon or Meta, based on the shipboard scuttlebutt uh, today. Oh my God! Is they called Meta? That they called for that. Oh, that's the whole thing. Uh, oh that they called God. for that on uh, the twenty eighth. I have decided not to come in off of vacation to record uh, an interim podcast. I don't care that it means we don't get the traffic for that. I'm on vacation. <laughs> I'm not letting Mark Zuckerberg determine when I work. I don't work for him. So with that in mind, um, you'll know that if I run a show next week of any kind, it's because we've got a lot of money from Facebook. No, uh, <laughs> it was maybe because like something's too juicy not to talk about, but there will be uh, one more episode of the podcast and then nothing until the first, and then we'll drop the review crew uh, and have a a kind of normal week after that. For everyone here at No Persinium, this is Noah Nelson, and thank you for uh, spending your time with us.